just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going? I'm doing very well. Not the typical holiday. So we are, we had a house full and on day two of four extra people, two extra dogs, everyone went down sick except for me. And and somehow I skated through the entire thing as the only person not sick. So our couch and living room looked like an infirmary from time to time, but it was still time well spent. Enjoy the time with the family. And quite honestly, I'm excited to get back back to work. And this is the first work day or first office day of 2024. And we are coming in hot with, with Robin here. So I'm excited about this. I've been admiring Robin's work for a long time. And Robin and I have interacted a little bit. And Robin is what I would call an executor, right? And just someone that's out there doing the work. And I had an interaction with Robin where I had an investor that had several million dollars and they're a property investor. And they this investor was interested in Colorado. And Robin was one of the first guys on the top of the list. I actually reached out to Robin and two others. Two others didn't respond. One of them being a large company that just didn't take the time to respond. But essentially the deal was investor had money, wanted to buy one or multiple units and had some criteria on return. And Robin came back and laid out very clearly, this is not the market for you. And here's why based on your needs and was just, exceptional about it and actually left the investor wondering if they should still buy even though it's not going to hit the returns that they're after i mean that's what the industry is about right that's what executors are going to do in this industry and i think the the goal for 2024 is how, how do we do more like that so excited to have robin on today and just we were talking before we hit record we haven't sat face to face yet but i'm excited for that to happen in 2024 yeah. Yeah. That characteristic is unfortunately uncommon. It feels like it shouldn't be right. The idea of, I forget, I, I think my dad was the one who hit me with this a long time ago when I was still in college, but it's like, he looked at me and he was like, Conrad, if you just do what you say you're going to do, you'll make it far in life basically. Cause he had hired lots of people over his career. And it sounds like that's a good example, Robin, right? Of just doing what you say you're going to do, but we'll come back to you in one second, Robin. I promise Adam, we, we've got to go your direction first. What is going on? How are you doing? Happy new year. Any sports updates to share with us and what's going on? Yes. Happy New Year. Excited to be back. And, and this is a fantastic one for us to kick off. I think that we'll hear execution and executor a lot over the next few weeks as we dig into some of the great people that we're going to be talking to on the podcast here. Um, but as far as sports, uh, not that much to report. I will say we watched uh, a lot of bowl football and we are on a tremendous losing streak as far as a family. We are choosing the losers time and time again. Similar to Scott, we, we spent a lot of time with the family we did have some sniffles that we're working through. I am knock on wood, still one that has stayed relatively healthy. So that's good. Looking at the new year, I'm not one that usually thinks about resolutions. I think I've talked on the podcast here. I, I try to think about systems and consistency and trying to, to your point, Conrad, do what I, I say I'm going to do. So I like this downtime. I like this fresh start, but it's more about trying to refine the processes and the systems that I've got, already got in place. So we did a, a few things while we were, were taking a break. Um, one, we, we did a lot more art as a family. We were painting, we were drawing. So that's something that I'm going to carry into the new year is just trying to spend a little bit more time in art. I, I think that next to sports, that's one that gets me into flow very quickly. It, it's something that I don't get a chance to do enough. So we're doing a little bit more of that. Uh, we also just did a polar plunge yesterday. I mentioned that a couple of years ago, we did it on new year's day. So as a family, we, we went out there and, and did the polar plunge. 
45 degree air, 50 degree water. It was definitely intimidating, but you feel great coming out. So that's one I'm, I'm taking into the new year, hopefully adding polar plunges or some plunges in the backyard here uh, with the plunge pool. And then the last one is, is interesting. And this again, carries over from last year, but I'm, I'm bringing it into this year. Towards the end of last year, I started to listen to the Tao Te Ching every morning as I was getting ready and cleaning up the kitchen. It's only, I don't know, 30 minutes if I listen to it on, on 2X speed. So I've been doing that every morning and it, it's really interesting. It's a philosophy book. It was probably the first one I got when I was 18 and it stuck with me, but it's one of those ones where I've read once or twice, stuck it on the shelf and then didn't think about it again. But listening to it day in and day out, I, I think has a, a really important process to integrate some of those thoughts as I head into the new year. So that's one that I'm, I'm carrying into the new year is, is thinking about that side. But as far as sports, and I think this correlates decently into the discussion today, now we're at the point where we're starting to execute. So indoor soccer starts next week. The boys have been practicing on their own. We had another day off uh, for school this year. So we had eight of our own boys going up to the field, practicing on their own, doing their own thing. So we're at a point now where we're taking what we've learned, taking the practices and, and getting back into indoor next week. So hopefully we'll have an update for the, the next uh, podcast. Right on. Robin, we appreciate you being here. We're going to go your direction. We need a little bit from you, so we'll try to tee it up here properly. Number one, we'd love to hear some background about you and Moving Mountains and how that kind of all began, if you don't mind doing the elevator version there. And then we'd also love to know a song that best describes you as well. Which one do you want first? The song? Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> so I have a lot of music in my life, and, and my kids are constantly trying to push the boundaries of what I will listen to, but an inspiration from my mountain biking playlist is Learn to Fly Foo Fighters. That's a song that gets me going every time I'm out there. Yes, I love that. Two of my favorite things, Robin. I'm, I'm a huge mountain biker. I love it. So what can I tell you about Moving Mountains? We've been going, if you can believe it, I think this is our 27th year now. It's It's been a journey. My wife and I founded this business from a background in yachting used to run a luxury yacht in the Caribbean. I've told this story a few times, so I won't go into a lot of detail here, but uh, we chose to stay in the business in a way that we could move to land and raise a family. And Colorado was our destination of choice. So we took everything that we've learned from operating and providing hospitality on a luxury yacht and transitioned that into a ski chalet and steamboat springs in Colorado. And that was the initial concept of our business. It was the Moving Mountain Chalet. And we would move a mountain for our guests is our service philosophy. And we, maybe at the time, we didn't realize just how much of, of our experiences of running in the summer two, which was a 72-foot sailing yacht in the British Virgin Islands. We didn't maybe realize at the time how much we were bringing with us in terms of how we would maintain and manage a home. But 25 years into it, what I... I'm starting to realize is that some of these things actually did form the backbone of what's become a very strong and a very dynamic company powered by an incredible team of staff. It is not Robin and Heather show anymore. It's long since turned into uh, an operation executed, to use your term, executioner, executed by a team of really driven, professional, smart, mature people that just seem to have this kind of drive and zest for what we now talk about as unreasonable hospitality. Yeah, awesome. I think if I recall correctly, Robin, you had some questions, didn't you, for Will at the Darm conference? Weren't you, I think, someone who would ask some questions? Maybe for those that I, weren't there, I did. could you repeat them? I yeah. did. I think I sat with everybody with my jaw on the floor listening to this guy. You can tell um, he lives and breathes this just as many of us do. 
And I do find myself at these conferences feeling like there's a few of us that think of the business this way. And there's a lot of people that seem to be talking about vacation rentals and the industry that we're in many different terms, the unit count and automation and and process and procedure, as opposed to a little bit more warm and fuzzy of hospitality, which I think is a more challenging industry to be in because you're trying to understand your customer, define to your customer who you are, and then deliver an experience to them that either meets or exceeds their expectations. But doing that on a consistent and regular basis. And my question for uh, Will was related to how do you even think about scaling when what we're doing is so challenging, potentially challenging on a day-by-day level? And I think he, he put it really well in context of saying, by the time they had sold, I think it was a group of maybe 10 restaurants. We had over a thousand staff serving tens of thousands of meals daily, weekly, annually, and it can be done. But you, he's, he was very clear that saying that it's not easy and don't assume it's going to be easy. There's nothing easy about this business. So you've got to be committed to it. I think that's the core piece of that is that you have to decide what kind of business you want to be in and then make sure that you never stop being that kind of business. Is it your perspective? One other thing that people had asked Will about a few times, I guess I'm curious your point of view on this as well, the type of service and hospitality that you provide guests. Do you find that when you go stay in other places, do you get the same type of feeling? Have you found other companies like Moving Mountains out there that you've been able to stay with in other locations? Or do you find what you do is actually really rare in our industry? I tend to find, I describe it as like moments of sunshine that I think you have interactions with people where you're like, you get it. That person gets it. I know people in our industry that the way they talk about their companies and their interactions with their clients and the lengths that they would go to, to resolve certain situations as you get it. And this is why you're still here after this many years. But I think this is where I think that Will Gadera's book is such a gift to our industry because it potentially provides us with a roadmap to do so many things in such a more, so to say, unreasonable way that if we all committed to do something unreasonable um, in the way that he talks about unreasonable hospitality, something on an unreasonable level on a daily basis or even a weekly basis, I think it could change the way that many of us run our businesses. And that's just not looking at the day-to-day of this. these are the rules to the game This is what we're all here for. I'm here to provide you with a service for a cost. It's a transaction. To me, it's not about that. It's about listening to your customer and making sure that you deliver that and adapt what you deliver to their individual circumstances. And it can be the tiniest, small touches. This is something he brought up over and over is it's not always a big expense. It can be the tiniest of gestures, but just something where you show compassion or empathy during someone's stay that can really be transformational for them. Believe them. What is that saying? It's it's about the way you make people feel. It's not yeah, what you do for them. It's the way you make them feel. It's like people never forget that, I think, is the quote. We're, I think we're butchering exactly. it a little bit. I think it's Maya Angela. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. That helps. But Scott, I guess I'm curious your perspective on what Robin was laying out there, this idea of it doesn't have to be even everything. I think that's one one example that really stuck out to me when Will was on stage was that it wasn't that every single person that went to that restaurant had these moments that he really went above and beyond. I'm sure there's a lot of people that went to that restaurant and had a phenomenal meal, I'm sure, of great food, and then they paid their check and went home and they had a great time and it was 
so how do you relate that idea, Scott, to the fact we can't do it for everybody, but if we do it some of the time, that's better than not doing it at all, which is the dominant force, as Robin was alluding to maybe a second ago with the moments of sunshine. But yeah, so 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 my view, Conrad, is is slightly different than they can't do it for everyone because they actually started by doing it for everyone, right? Because if you remember in the book, they started with dealing with the check, right? That was their precarious mm -hmm. moment. And that was the first thing that they really set out to solve is, hey, the five of us have been sitting around eating. Maybe we realize that we just spent 12 or 1500 bucks. Maybe we don't, but there was still that moment of that check being dropped, right? And they basically said that's that was a precarious moment. And that's why they did the expensive bottle of liquor, right? And, and for them, that was the moment of then how do you aid that? But I think the other side of it goes to they what they don't do for everyone is making the magic, right? They have the closet and they have the dream weavers. And that didn't take away from the fact that they all operated with their antennas up. And it's whether it's the hot dog people, right, or the snow people. And I think my perspective is, and I think I posted today, or I've got a post coming out sometime this week about magic, because I, I think the best unreasonable hospitality and the one that touches you where you just go, oh man, that was epic, is when there's that hint of magic. It's when there's that hint of like, how did they even know this? And I think that that's when we nail. But I say all that to say it doesn't discount the fact of you can be unreasonable all the way leading up to that. But those moments where you can find that magic, I think that's the that's just the big unreasonable moment that really tells the story. Adam, I'm I've said it to my I've, I've said it to my Go team ahead. a few times. It's like the guest. The challenge for us is for the guest to even notice us. We say this at conferences. We talk about the fact that. We are not Airbnb. That's a hashtag that we've kicked around. And for the guests to even notice us, we got to be ready and we've got to be in the starting blocks because if they show up and they have an easy travel day, they wake up the next morning, there's six inches of fresh snow on the mountain. If they checked in, the house was perfect. It was exactly as described. They go skiing. They have the perfect ski day. Nobody gets hurt. Everyone comes home. Everyone's able to get the restaurant reservations they want. And so it goes on. And we do have some weeks where I think it goes that way. You get to the end of the week and they check out and they're like, yeah, that was great. But they have no idea that there is a team of people waiting, listening, looking. And this is where we are excited that we've gotten to is my shuttle drivers are the ones who are getting a lot of the applause of late because they're with the guests every day at the beginning, the end of the day. They get to say, how was it? Or... Did you sleep good last night and setting people up? But they have uh, started to get a name for themselves for listening. Like one guest who was saying, everything in the house is great. We just, we can't find a stupid thing, but we can't find a broom to clean up the crumbs in the kitchen. And we just would like to be able to sweep the kitchen. I was like, okay. That shuttle driver went back to the office, went, got a credit card, ran over to Walmart, picked up a broom, took it back to the house and had it back in the house by the time the guests returned from skiing. Now, that may not necessarily come across as an act of unreasonable hospitality, but I can tell you that how I got to hear that made an impact with the guests is because they were bragging to the waiter at the restaurant they went to that night, who happens to be the brother, the son-in-law of my general manager, who came home with the stories like, I don't know what you're doing up there, but you're doing something right because the guests are just singing your praises and all you did is got them a broom. That is just one example of many where I would say when the guest has a good experience, they just go home without realizing just how ready we are to respond. 
And we can sometimes call it out as uh, we respond to when we make mistakes, how we can own a mistake and, and correct it, or how we can take every little tiny little opportunity and say, okay, here's a minor or every tiny little challenge and turn that into an opportunity. And that's something that, I mean, I just love when I hear other people talking our language out there on stage. He said, every challenge is an opportunity and we've got to always see those challenges as those opportunities. It's our number one core value is every challenge is an opportunity. So there's the shuttle driver who took the tiniest challenge, turned it into an opportunity. And I'm sure the guy isn't still talking about the broom, but it just, it just highlights the fact that these are the opportunities and we are presented with them every day. We just have to teach our team how to look for that, how to listen for that and how to act on that, empower them to act on it because that's actually who we want to be for that guest. We don't want them to leave thinking that, the, that there was anything that they missed out on. Mm -hmm. where, where I was going to go a second ago, Adam, was this idea. And I think Robin, that story is awesome because I feel like we've lost the contact. We talked about that quite a bit in past episodes. And you've joked in the past, like you were partially responsible selling keyless lock systems and things like that for a long time. But Robin has, it seems like this really unique opportunity with the shuttles to connect with the guests in person. We've always told that uh, in the past, Robin, as maybe it's the maintenance person, maybe it's the housekeeping professional and so on that might have that contact with the guests. But I guess, Adam, I'm curious your perspective on that. That seems like a good story of just someone listening. And that, again, is rare. Going back to Scott's story that opened the call here with Robin listening to an investor's requirements and needs and ultimately telling him maybe, no, it's not the right fit. Anyways, your thoughts on that, Adam, the idea of listening to the guests and delivering on something small, even like a broom can actually really do a lot of goodwill. Yeah. How amazing is it that somebody's bragging to a waiter about a broom? That shows you the power of, of what hospitality is. And to your point, Conrad, of, of what listening is. So I'm in the same camp as Scott from the perspective of we want to build our processes so that we're thinking about the precarious moment so that we can do the right thing at the right time in that process. But the magic doesn't come from the process. The magic comes from listening. If I could boil the whole unreasonable hospitality book and uh, theory down to one word, it's listening. It's all about listening. It's, it's listening to that person at whatever interaction you have, just taking a moment to slow down and listen to what they're saying. With that said, that's not easy. And it's especially not easy in our industry because we're moving really fast. In addition to that, we don't have the teams that have been trained to have that hospitality mindset to slow down and take that step of listening. So I'm definitely interested in, in learning from you, Robin, about your team and how you built it and what you've done there, because that's part of what we're doing as well as how do we train these people? And then to your point, Conrad, the, the example of, of Robin and the shuttle is, is amazing. That's such a great opportunity to be interacting with these people to and from the slopes almost on a daily basis. However, I think that every business has something like that. You just need to figure out what that is. And if you don't have it, you need to build it. And I'd argue that the old school 2008-ish mindset where we had reservations teams that were answering the phones and calling people and being proactive and looking for that relationship. If you don't have that today, that might be the opportunity. Call them, find out what they want to do on their vacation, follow up with them after they leave, see what it's about. I think there's opportunities for us to build this, but we've got to build that process in where we start to interact with the guest. The other point I really like that, that Robin built there was we're actually fighting for their attention while they're on vacation. I don't think many people think about it like that. I think most of the industry thinks about fighting for that attention, whether it's on an OTA or whether it's direct bookings. I'm fighting for that attention through marketing to get the reservation. But as we've talked about on, on this podcast a number of times, the house is the tool to get them here. Our job is then to build out their entire vacation to give them an unreasonable 
hospitality experience so that they come back time and time again and fall in love with us as a business. So I think that's a really important point. We need to find opportunities to get their attention during their vacation. Again, it's part of the processes. It's part of the training. And I think that's, as an industry, that's the opportunity that we have. So to Robin's point, challenges becoming opportunities. That is a challenge to interact with people during their stay, but that's also where the biggest opportunity is. Yeah. Maybe Robin, do you mind picking a point uh, apart those two points? The first was team that Adam mentioned there. I guess I'm particularly curious about that. You said that during your intro, the fact that it's not just you and your wife anymore that have expanded out to this team. How do you find the right people? I know I've heard in the past mountain markets, oh, it's impossible to find labor. It's impossible to find team members. Have you done that? And then I'd love to hear the moments that you manufacture as well after that. I I can say that the the value in being and having done this for a while is we've had a lot of time to learn these lessons. Actually, I think the value to anyone who's new to the business, listening to conversations like this or picking up a book like Unreal Hospitality is, I wonder what a different business I would have had if I'd had that book in my hand 25 years ago and said, here it is, guys, here's the blueprint. This is what we got to do. Because for me, everything I could say about this business is something that I've learned along the way. And that means to say that we haven't always been amazing at this. We've had a series of light bulb moments. I got a lot of light bulb moments reading Wogadera's book because to me, it echoed back things that we had learned. But one of the things that we learned as we started hiring more people is the tremendous cost when somebody walks out the door. They might work for you for two or three years. They're doing great. After a year, they know everything. They start to help you improve the business. You collectively go down a path together where you're doing things better and working better as a team. And then all of a sudden they say, you know what, I'm going to do something different or they move on. There's something that for whatever reason, nobody necessarily stays in a job forever, especially certain younger generations that are. Um, So our light bulb moment there was realizing that we just needed to, we needed to change the direction we were going in terms of hiring people, training them, making them brilliant, and then losing them after three or four years. And then my light bulb moment was to discover the outside magazine, best places to work survey and saying, there might be something to this in terms of if we were a best place to work, maybe we'd be a more attractive employer. And how I got that kind of light bulb moment was visiting with one of our suppliers at the time and meeting someone who had uh, gone to work from them and I had to work with them. And I said, how did you end up getting this job in Colorado with this company? And she said, I came out of college. I opened up Outside Magazine. I went down the list of top 100 places to work in the US. And I said, I want to work for one of these companies in Colorado. She said, I circled all the companies in Colorado. And this is the one I got hired by. And it's been amazing. That was a kind of a moment of saying, oh, wait. So there are actually people out there thinking, I really care about where I work. This list is, it's pre-selecting companies that are committed to their employees. And not that we didn't care about our employees before, but I feel like the blueprint, the roadmap that we got from participating in that survey absolutely has changed our relationship with our employees like night and day. I think we always had it in mind to be a good employer, but the things that that we learned is a little bit like listening to your customer, listen to your employees. They're going to be able to tell you if you use something like this tool, this survey, you're going to find out where you think you're doing well and they think you're not. And that may be a little hard to hear in the beginning, but it truly is like when you can take something that we still hear about every day, communication, 
and say communication is so far down the list and we need to get that near the top of the list in terms of things that we're doing better. The ideas and the feedback we got from doing that survey really have changed the way that we work with our team. Some of the benefits that we provide, we didn't even know that we could. Some things were very low hanging fruit, just additional benefits that our benefits provider offered vision, dental, disability insurance, life insurance, all these things are actually things that cumulatively make a difference to our employees. We've improved our bereavement policy. We've improved our, I think our whole conversation with our employees just by using the survey. And we did not make the list the first year that we applied. It was pretty humbling, but they give you this, you do this, the employees do the survey. It's their anonymous feedback that is what determines where you finish up on the list. We get this fantastic report at the end. And it's, here's where you scored on every single one of these questions. And from there, we create a roadmap to these are things we can improve easily. These are just, these are low hanging fruit. Let's do those. But here's areas where we thought we were doing well that we weren't doing that great. We just started working on that. So we applied again in 2019 and we made that list, top 100 company to work for in the US. And we've made that list every year that we've applied to be in that survey since then. We've set ourselves the goal the last two years to make top 50. We haven't made the top 50 yet. We still have our, we're a little bit like there. We're working our way up the list and we were thrilled that we made the list. That was exciting, but we realized we're not satisfied with just being one of the top 100. We want to be one of the top 50. And I'll be very honest with you. I'll tell you that we're not going to be one of those companies that tells their employees, Hey, by the way, we just need you to fill out nine out of 10 or hundred on this uh, survey so that we can get this award. It is definitely to the employees. It's like, we value your feedback. It's going to help us be a better place to work. So I want you to an answer these questions honestly. And so we've always approached it that way as it, it, it's definitely a tool. And if we make the list, it's because we're doing enough of the things the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it honestly echoes the broom story perfectly, right? Listening to the employees, listening to the guests, the, the, the threads there were very common, and yet the outcome obviously was positive on both sides. I'm sure the benefits are a lot more expensive than the broom was, but that's certainly how it goes. I've been in that seat before, and I know what that you know entails, but there's a lot there to to go apart. Look, I, um, I, I just want to put yeah. a pin on that one, Conrad, because benefits yeah. in this industry and HR in this industry is a huge gap. It's something that yeah. operators don't necessarily know about, and it's not a piece of education that I think the industry has paid enough attention to. We will have two upcoming episodes in the next few weeks that will talk one about HR and then two about benefits. So just as a pin for a couple of future episodes. Yeah, no doubt. I think that there's a lot there. And honestly, sitting in my seat, as I have now for some time hiring more people on, on my team, Robin, for the marketing agency that I run, it's not always clear too. It's not always very obvious to me what things people value, what they don't value. Um, and I've often told people in the past for myself, I'm not telling you to do anything differently than I don't, I don't do myself with regards to healthcare, for example. It's I go to healthcare.gov and sign up, right? And I've told folks on my team to do the same thing. So I know as we get bigger, there's other options and available things that we have to go there. Maybe we not depart from unreasonable hospitality completely, but maybe go in the different direction a little bit. You had sailing in our outline. I, I think, Adam, you typed these up. And you touched on it very earlier, Robin, just with this idea of, I learned a lot during that time frame. Now it's been applicable or it's helped me with what I'm doing today with Moving Mountains. Could you break down that business for us a little bit? How similar is it to the vacational industry? And what are the expectations of the, I don't know if guest is the right word or patron or what the right terminology is? And how does that map to what you're doing today a little bit in more detail? I think one of the things that I can say trans translates most perfectly is how you maintain a yacht. 
is we, we would say the word we use today is proactive. You can either be proactive or reactive. And, and in many cases, when we want to learn about when something didn't go well, we find ourselves saying, did this happen because we're in a reactive stance or are we in a reactive stance right now? And what could we have done more proactively um, to prevent this problem from occurring? So preventing problems from occurring before they occur is how you live and die on a yacht. If you don't maintain the systems, then you're going to find, and we learned this, we learned it fortunately from a very experienced boat owner, that if you have a regular maintenance program and you maintain things that maybe that aren't about to break, but you're maintaining them on a schedule, you're clearing the filters because there's grass and other things floating in the water that can clog up the filters that cool the engine, cool the, the generator. If you clear those filters every week, you'll never have a problem with your air conditioning. You'll never have a problem with your engine. But you can let it go two weeks. You can let it go three weeks if you want. But you could be in the middle of a charter and suddenly your engine overheats and now you're down in the engine room and it's your worst nightmare. So I think things like that have translated really well into the checklists that we had before we adopted software like Breezeway. We've become that company of checklists now using these tools to make sure that it's not me that's checking it because I can remember it. I'm relying on a team of staff to go through every home and we do periodic maintenance on all the essential systems in a house, but we do weekly maintenance checks on just about that list of items gets checked every single week. Because if you want to have that consistent experience with the guest, then you want to know that the Wi-Fi is working. You want to know that the house has hot water. The guest is not going to forgive you if you don't have some of these basic essential services 99.999% of the time. And that becomes a differentiator between the companies that are proactive like us, where we say, yeah, we have more staff. It takes more time. It costs more money. Our permission and our fee structure is like this because we're not trying to be the cheapest management company. We are trying to be the best. And to be the best, you have to be consistent. And to be consistent, you have to make an investment of time and money. We often find ourselves saying, if only the owners knew just how much goes into this, because there's a lot of unawareness that they think it's all about just, oh, you just throw the home on VRBO and you'll get bookings just flowing through the door. They don't realize that if you're going to command a premium, then you've got to be something in the marketplace year after year. You have to earn your place at the table and then we can't afford to fail. We can't afford to have a review where someone says nothing worked in this house. It's as if, as if they only fix things when they break. And you, if you adopt that stance, then you actually only fix things when you find out that they break. And that might be after three or four guests have stayed in the house, because maybe only two out of, maybe only one out of the three or four even bothered to tell you. So it can be a kind of a cycle that you can either be in where we're getting affirmation every week where the guests are saying, this is just, this has just been amazing. Nothing, nothing broke down. And when it did, you guys were ready. You had someone who was at the door within 20 minutes and knew exactly how to fix that problem and didn't walk in and say, oh, yeah, that's been we've been meaning to do that for weeks. <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's a series of things like that, that, that we realized that it was life or death for us on a boat that we transitioned into doing this on land, which I think is quite frankly, is quite a lot easier. The boat, the houses don't move at nighttime. People don't try and park another house next to you in the middle of the night. 
I sleep better than I ever did when I worked as a captain on the boat. Um, but it's still basically the same challenge. And then from a guest point of view, it's maybe working and doing that on a boat just teaches you to be resourceful and to really think about what it is that you can do that can make a difference. We were the captain and crew. My wife was the chef. I was the captain and you do whatever you can to keep the chef happy because the chef is going to make the most amazing food that's going to keep the guests happy. And the chef, she was very good at listening to the guests and saying, I can make anything you want, but, or I, I can make the menu, but I, what I really want to make for you guys is things that you would like to eat. And as that became the theme in how we did things, we found ourselves doing very different kind of food to the typical gourmet menu that the boat would have up on our website with a reduction sauce and a filet mignon and all the rest of it. You'd have people say, I really miss my mom's chicken and dumplings. And the next thing you know, we have the guests coming off the boat saying, oh my God, the food was amazing. You got to ask the chef, they meet the next guests who are coming on the boat saying, we had this chicken and dumplings dinner that was just to die for. And the next thing you know is, yeah, I haven't had chicken and dumplings for years. My mom used to make that. And then that you find out that sometimes all people are craving is like home prepared food. And that is just, to me, that's another thing that I would say is just listening to your customer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, make a, I'll make a quick admission here. And, and I don't know, Robin, maybe you'll cringe, but I am hooked on, via my wife, hooked on Below Deck, all of the, we watch all of it. And essentially it, it's about- I'm cringing. <laughs> yeah, it's about this this industry. But, but I'll tell you, Robin, there are moments in that where I look to just say, because I, I think the experience is interesting. And I think it's funny that it's the same thing where people put out a lot of money and then they don't know what they paid for until they get there. Essentially, the money is already spent. They've been building up their anticipation and expectations. But it was funny, Robin, to see, and, and again, it's television, but you know the preference sheets and all that, because I've, I've often thought like, man, they have so much gold right there in their hand. Now, again, I know it's made for TV, but I was interested to see like the preference sheets and some of those things because they give you so many indicators. And for us, I think that would be super ideal, right? And, and Robin, for us, and I'll bounce back to unreasonable hospitality for a minute because it, it translates here. One of the things we did with our team, Robin, is we actually had them ask for one word. Hey, what's one word to describe the your upcoming vacation? And we were trying to get the team to start that engagement. And typically when you ask them for one word, then they'll give you some other clues. And ultimately we told the team, because they were all like, why do I have to ask this question? And we basically said, you have to ask until you can find those nuggets without asking that question. And, mm -hmm. and, and for us, that kind of became how we developed our version of unreasonable hospitality for the magic side is some of them would just say, I just need a break, period, end of story, and then they move on. But then other people would say, oh, it's for grandma or it's for baby. And we were able to take that information and, and move on. But Robin, there's part of me that loves, and again, I know it's TV and it's Bravo, but that preference sheet idea is just, it's the treasure map, right? It's the way to know what they're after. Yeah, that is the big advantage of doing something a little bit more full service is that there is an expectation that you're going to interact with the guests. So maybe that's something else that was in our mind when we set up this business is we were really there to provide an experience for those guests. We started out as a catered chalet company and we evolved into a vacation rental company, but we never 
lost that passion for knowing more, or I would say having a relationship with the guest. And that's the thing that kind of mystifies me about the new breed of manager, the, the whippersnappers, I think we were calling them at the VRMA International, who don't talk about it in the same way. I can remember sitting and talking with my uh, team one day in the office and saying, one of the things I think we're struggling here is because we're not talking about the business. We're not talking about what we're doing in the right way. We're not talking about it as, I said, What's, what kind of business are we actually in? What is this business? What type of business is it? Play that back to me. What do you think it is? And they were like, of course, that's property management. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. And we did a game of hangman and they were like, is it hospitality? And it's, it's not, it is hospitality and it is property management. That's not the core of what we're at. And this is something that Will brought up again in his talk, which kind of like rings a bell for me is we're in the relationship business. It is the relationship that is the core of everything we do. So Conrad, as you were saying, how you have succeeded by listening to your staff and listening to your customer. I think it's the relationship we have with our staff and the relationship we have with our customer and the relationship we have with these homeowners. That is absolutely a symbol of strength and trust and belief that these owners let us take these two and three and four million dollar homes and rent them out to strangers, which sounds terrifying when you say it that way. But when you do it the right way, it's okay. It's because they trust us because we say we know who the customer is and we know who is staying in your home and you can trust us to make sure that's going to be a good outcome. You're going to have good rental income from each and every stay and that you're going to get your house back at the end of the week in the same condition as we started the week. Awesome. Maybe then, Robin, that turns us to where you want to go. You mentioned one goal that you already had, which was this idea of yeah. climbing the ranks on the best places to work. I like that. But I imagine there's other goals as well. It sounded like, though, from just the tone of this conversation so far, it's not that you want to manage 10,000 homes or that that's not really necessarily, I feel like your goal, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's where you see things going from here and what's the next direction that you want to head in? I guess not only we record this in a new year, so I guess there might be annual goals that you have for 2024, but even beyond, I'm, I'm always curious on that as well. We want to maintain our position. I think like many other companies right now, we are focused on um, improving the efficiency of what we do. We don't want to, to, so we want to maintain the standard we're achieving because we're already running a very high net promoter score. So the goal now is having hit that level is how can we sustain that? So I think sustaining our business for the long term, which comes back to we're going to achieve that by having a consistent and, a, and a, a consistent team that is improving their skills each and every day as well. So having a consistent team, improving our processes so that they can work more efficiently. We're trying to condense down our tech stack to be less um, 10 buckets of data. I'm trying to get it into three or four buckets of data. So I think on my list of goals for this year is definitely let's say improving the efficiency of the tech stack, we have a big push towards uh, a data management strategy that's better than what we currently have. We have so much data at our fingertips that we're not using that before we go off and buy one more shiny object, we need to use the data that we have more effectively. So I'd say it's a lot about we're tweaking the machinery, trying to run it a little better, but we are actually in the midst of a couple of uh, big new ventures. Uh, Moving Oceans is a yacht charter brokerage, 
taking us back to our roots. And we believe that the customer who is staying with us currently in the Colorado Rocky Mountains is the same kind of person that likes to go on a sailing yacht vacation or to your point, Scott, to go below decks and, and maybe cruise around the islands on a power yacht as well. So those kind of experiences very much rub shoulders with ski vacations. And it's a very challenging experience to book. It's very hard to know where to go. I have a very experienced yacht charter broker on my team. She came from the background of yachting like we did. So she is she's a qualified charter broker. And our flagship that goes in the center of this is we're actually in the midst of building a 65-foot catamaran which will continue the legacy of the boat we used to run. So we ran a boat, a 72-foot monohull called Endless Summer 2. This 65-foot catamaran is going in the water in June. It will be shipped across the Atlantic. It'll be at the Annapolis Boat Show in October. And then we will be taking it down to the British Virgin Islands and starting charter with that boat, Endless Summer 3, starting in December of 2024, this year. So that's a big new venture for us and something out of left field for many people in the industry, but it's totally our comfort zone. I'm much more at home on the water than I am as far from the edge of the uh, ocean as I currently am. Um, and I just feel like um, we're leaning into the relationship that we have with our customers saying, okay, show us what else you can do. We have Moving Oceans that's live right now, moving-oceans.com. You could go take a look at it. We have a curated collection of about 50 yachts on there. Um, they're all boats that we've gotten to know that our broker has been on and she has vetted the crew and we're looking to pair people up with those experiences. And then uh, later this year, we'll be rolling out uh, moving beaches, which will take us into uh, beachside villas in Costa Rica. Fantastic. I heard Annapolis, Maryland. So I'm thinking, Scott, you can be there when the boat gets there just to check on it, make sure everything's okay. And then I heard yeah. British Virgin Islands. So I love that. It's going to have to go down the Carolina coast. It's going to have to go past <laughs> you and past me and we should all check it out. So there you go. Count me in. Yeah. 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 Robin, we'll Robin we, we, we will connect live in, in Annapolis when you come through, Robin. I, I live right there. I live right next to right next to downtown. So I'm looking forward to it. That'll be convenient. Well, awesome. I know we've got a few minutes maybe left here with Robin. We have one question that we're going to save for the very end about the next guest. So I'll leave that in there. But Adam, I was curious, anything that you picked apart there, there was a tech stack comment in there. You smiled. I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to layer into that or just other thoughts before we let Robin go for today. And ask Yeah, him. there's definitely a few things that I was taking from that. I wanted to sit back and just let Robin talk because this was just a yeah. fantastic discussion. And I think that as an industry, we all have a lot to learn from someone that's got that type of experience that Robin has, both on the yachting side that he was able to bring in 27 years in the mountains of building this type of business is substantial. And to your point, Robin, those whippersnappers, right? The ones that aren't thinking about these pieces are, uh, they're in trouble when we start to get into some difficult times and they haven't thought through all of this relationship building. So I'll touch on a few things there. Tech stack is definitely one I think is worth coming back with Robin after he goes through this a little bit, having sold a few of those shiny objects, I'm definitely interested to see how this industry starts to navigate, narrowing the focus on what that tech stack should look like. I'm wholeheartedly uh, on board with that. I think it needs to be done. I also think that this is a, a prime opportunity to put pressure on the vendor side to improve the vendor side. I think the vendors have also left us out to dry a little bit with their lack of development and lack of forethought that easy money had come in. And I, I don't think there was enough uh, development that took place. So I'm interested in that discussion, maybe down the road with you, Robin. The other pieces I took from there are um, proactive from the yachting side, as well as resourceful. 
I think those are two very important words for us to think about as an industry. But the one I really loved out of that was we're in the relationship business. I think that takes us one step closer to the core of what we do. We've been talking about, hey, we're tech-enabled hospitality. We're really hospitality businesses. But the reality is that, and this is, I, I think, life in general, but specific to what we're trying to do, we are 100% in the relationship business. And us talking about slowing down to listen is really about building that relationship. It's letting the other person that we're interacting with know that we care and we're listening and we're trying to understand that's the core of that relationship building is, is truly just that listening process. So that's where my mindset is, is as we go into these discussions. I don't think there's anything that we miss covering uh, outside of uh, maybe a, a bigger vision on, on where the industry is going. I'm, I'm super excited to hear your plans, Robin. And I think I'll go out and, and put a pin in the fact that I think your names are probably a couple of the best names in the industry. Moving Mountains and now Moving Oceans, fantastic. And then to add Moving Beaches is, is really strong. I think there's a lot of meaning behind what those names entail. And it, it comes through in the names pretty quickly. So I, I love the naming. Um, but I also am, am curious, and I don't know that we have time on this one. Maybe it's the next time we get together, is where we think this industry is going. And I think you can get the feel for the group on this call as to where we think, right? It's the relationship building. It's the unreasonable hospitality. But talking about it and doing it and really executing on scale, not only in our businesses, but across an industry, I think that's an important discussion that we need to dig into further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right on. Robin, if you're open to it, we'd love to have you back down the road. Maybe it's maybe it's the time frame when the boat's ready and those other things are, are down the road. We can do an update for sure. Something in Annapolis would be a lot of fun. Fantastic. Yeah. What we're asking, so this is a new year for us, 2024. We've got some new guests going. So that you're the first person to get this question. So hopefully it's not going to throw you off your spot too much, but we'd love to how... Uh, hear from your point of view. Is there anyone you think we should interview in 2024? Maybe someone in the industry that doesn't have a voice or their voice isn't amplified enough. Anyone that comes to mind that we could potentially have a as this, a guest on the podcast? This is so easy. The only one person you need to get on this show, and it might take you all year, is Will Gadara. Oh. <laughs> We've taken so many swings. Adam has, yes. But I, I like that. It, it narrows our focus. It sharpens our focus, doesn't it, Adam? Yeah. It does. I charge and you guys to... I charge you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift for the industry. I loved your your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. I think it absolutely should. Just if we could all do one thing, unreasonable, one more thing per week, we could really change the way some of us are running our companies now. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That's a good note for us to depart on. Thank you, Robin, for your time today. We really appreciate it. If you made it this far, I'm sure you've appreciated what we've had to say and you've got some value out of it. So if you could leave us a podcast, a review in your podcast app of choice, that would be super appreciated. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Art of Hospitality. Thanks so much.